morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Centennial. I know we still have some friends trickling in from the back, but would you go ahead and stand to your feet as we begin our worship gathering? And what a blessing it is to be able to, to be together this morning and lift our voices in, in praise to our God who reigns on high. So we're going to join our voice together. We're going to sing a song called God is for us. We know that that is true, that our God is strong, that our God is mighty, that he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And for those who are in Jesus, we have nothing to fear this morning because we know that our God is the King who reigns on high. So we invite you to sing with us and join with us as we raise a mighty shout unto our God of praise. Let's sing together.
that chorus where it says, who can stand against us when God is really for us? So seriously, just think about that this morning. He is here for us, so honestly, who can, who can be against us? But hey, welcome to Centennial Baptist. We're so glad that you can join us. If this is your first time or your first time in a minute, there's a seat in the seat pockets in front of you. There's a connection card. If you want to um, just fill that out, put it, bring, bring it to connection point or uh, put it in the offering bucket. We want to see how, just learn a little bit more about you, how we can serve you. Um, at this time, just a reminder in your, in your bulletins, pay attention to the, uh, the announcements, what's going on this month. Um, at connection point, there's a couple things to fill out. So let's get in there. Let's volunteer and uh, um, get out there and uh, be part of the, the community. So let's get around. Let's greet one another. We'll come back with worship. into a time of worship we're going to continue to sing the truth of who our God is this morning that he is a firm foundation that he is the rock of our salvation that he is trustworthy that he is good and kind in everything that he does so would you join with us as we sing that our God is a firm foundation and in him we can be assured of our eternal future let's continue to worship Can he 
praise this morning. And as we continue to sing and worship together, I want to read a passage of scripture. As we sing, I love the lines to the bridge of this song. It says, you have no rival. You have no equal. And I love this. This is from 1 Timothy 1.17. It says, to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, to be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I love this because to the king of the ages and the world has known many kings. We go all the way through the scriptures, right? The world has known many kings, many earthly kings. We've known cruel kings. We've known merciful kings. But the truth is, 
the world has never known a king like ours, right? The King of kings and the Lord of lords, the all-powerful, the almighty, the all-merciful king, the one that death could not hold, the one that has no rival, the one that has no equal. That is the God that we sing to this morning. That is the God that we worship this morning. That is the God that we will read about in the scriptures in just a little bit. So I encourage you to, to remind yourself of who he is, of who it is that we're singing. So we continue to lift our voices in praise to our God.
there is no name that rivals yours. There is no name that we find salvation in other than yours. There is no name that we can call upon this morning that brings us true peace, that brings us true hope. Thank you for the powerful name of Jesus that we can call upon in our lowest moment. And you will come to us because that is the kind of God that you are. Father, we love you. We worship you this morning. And we pray. Amen. You may be seated as my friend Taylor comes up this morning. We're going to move into our, our ministry focus time. And this morning, um, the ministry that we want to highlight is we want to highlight the ministry of home groups or small groups or community groups. I know we probably have all have heard them referred to as different things, but we just really find a lot of value in home groups, small groups, community groups here at Centennial. We just think they're an integral part of our spiritual formation, and that spiritual formation really happens on a deep level in home groups. And so I want to introduce, if you don't know, this is Taylor, his wife Tabitha, and their sweet little boy is back there. And so they have been here with Centennial for about a year and a half. Um, and they've been pretty active here in sound ministry and kids ministry, and they also are very active in the home group ministry. They are a part of Tyler and Jamie Smith's home group, and so I just wanted to give you a moment to just share a little bit about your experience within home groups and how you and your family have found value in home groups here at Centennial. It's obviously called small groups. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so anyways, yeah, it's uh, like you said, Andrew said that like we came here like a year and a half, two years ago or whatever, and um, we got plugged in with Jamie and Tyler and their small group. And what's been weird for, or a good thing for me is that I have always been around family and I have a big family and really plugged into family. And so it has been a really good experience for me to be away from family since we're moving out here and then having to find community in the church. And so to, to know others and to be known by others and to really be invested in other members, just not your family, which is kind of what I've always done. So uh, it's been such a huge blessing. And I know like my wife and I, we have just absolutely loved being able to get to know our small group and then to be able to pray for uh, other small group members and be invested that way. And the community has been a huge thing. And then like just being able to discuss, like we're going through Acts um, as a small group together, and it's been such a good thing to just be able to d discuss theology and not just sit in a row and in a chair and just hear pastor talk, which is great, but it, it's also great to be able to discuss um, the Bible and our Lord and Savior and with one another and really be able to, I guess, take it that next level where it's not just listening. It's also being kind of, I think, more an active part of it. Yeah, that's okay, it. we did it. We did it. We did it. Um, thank you so much, Taylor, for sharing that. Yeah, we just really, as I said earlier, we really value small groups here at Centennial. And you are going to have an opportunity, if you desire to be involved in a small group, you'll have an opportunity later on to fill out a card, just putting your name, email address, phone number, just saying, hey, I'd love some more information about small groups. And we would love to have the opportunity to connect with you about small groups. You know, it's kind of funny. We live in an age today where we are more than more connected than ever, right? Digitally, social media, we just are very, very connected. But we live in probably one of the more lonely generational times. I know that even just two years ago over in England, they appointed a minister of loneliness to try and combat loneliness. And so 
You don't have to be lonely to be in a small group. I feel like I should preface that. You don't have to be lonely to be in a small group, but if you just desire deeper connection, if you desire community and are looking for that, we would love the opportunity to get you plugged into that. But at this time, we're gonna move into our time of offering. So I'm gonna ask our ushers to come forward this morning. And as they make their way forward, Brother Bill, would you pray for us this morning and pray for our offering? Father God, as we gather here this morning, Lord, for your offering, we ask that you take the offering and spread it throughout the whole world and glorify your name with it, Lord. We ask this name in our Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Blessed assurance, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory
shown yourself to be good and trustworthy so many times even when we have fallen short even when we have failed still you call us your sons and daughters thank you Jesus thank you for your love thank you for saving us for caring deeply for us, for desiring to be in relationship with us. As we open up your word this morning, remind us once again who you are. Speak through us. Father, we are listening. And we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Okay, everybody, good morning. Let's head into week two now in our series, The Harvest Fields. And last week, we uh, looked at the personal mission each of us has been given, what we might call our Jerusalem. And this morning, we're going to talk about our Judea, our local area. We'll label this one as local peace. And so go with me once again to the first chapter of Acts, where we will read this morning our theme verse, uh, the commission that Jesus has given to all believers. And uh, that's where we'll start this morning. Uh, we uh, are so blessed to be able to be a part of what God has called us to do. And we notice in Acts 1a that every believer and every church has been given a, a commission uh, that is simultaneous. It uh, just continues to reach personally, locally, and globally. And we're going to be talking about that this morning. And so head there to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. Uh, I want to thank the, those of you who have signed up as table captains for our Serve Mission Banquet that is three weeks from tonight. And we made a big dent in the goal from, uh, that I mentioned last week. And as, as of this morning, I think we only need six or seven more table hosts. Uh, it's going to be a very special evening. And we're asking everyone to bring in an international dish and dessert. And so help us out with that. Uh, also, if you uh, have helped us in the past with our trunk or tree, uh, I hope you'll help again this year. And uh, Sarah Fuentes is leading that up this year. And so you can see her, but there's a sign-up sheet in the back for that as well. Uh, you know, it's interesting, Jerusalem, Israel, <clears throat> is 6,945 miles away from Caldwell, Idaho. And so obviously the Great Commission is not about starting in Jerusalem, Israel. Uh, the Great Commission is about starting in our own Jerusalem with the people around us that we actually know. And we talked about that last week in personal peace. But let's read here in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, this theme verse for our series. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Okay, so we started with personal peace. This morning we're going to move to a broader circle. Uh, the Judea of the Great Commission, our local area. Uh, you might say our city or our county uh, or uh, maybe even our state. But reaching out to both people that we know and people we don't know who live in this community. And today we're going to look at three people or passages that illustrate local missions. We looked at three last week. We're going to look at three today. So let's begin in Luke chapter 5. And I love this passage in Luke 5 where we see a great feast. And the notes are provided in your bulletin if you want to follow along with us on this. Uh, they're also on the Version app. Who doesn't like a great feast? I mean, a great feast. And you could have all kinds of great feasts, right? There's a Thanksgiving feast that's coming up pretty soon. Uh, there is nothing like a Filipino feast, right? Marilyn, you know what I'm saying? 
uh, you show up on one of those things, there is more food than you can possibly even imagine. And I've seen feasts in all sorts of places in the world, uh, but who, uh, who doesn't like a great feast? And we're going to talk about uh, this great feast this morning in Luke chapter 5, and uh, look at verse number 27. And after these things, he went forth, so this is talking about Jesus, and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of the custom, and he said unto him, follow me. And so Jesus invited a publican to be his disciple. Now, a publican was a tax collector, okay? And tax collectors, uh, I know that they are loved in modern times, but in the first century, they were hated, okay? Especially by the Jews. And if you were looking for prospective disciples, a publican would not even be on the list. And yet Jesus walks up to this guy and says two words, follow me. The publican's name was Levi, and he's also known as Matthew. Now, this is the guy that ended up writing the first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. Now, you could also find this story in Matthew 9 and Mark 2. Now, I love the fact that Jesus saw potential in Matthew when other people would not have even thought of him as a possibility. And by the way, Jesus still does that. He's not looking for the rich and famous. Uh, he's not looking for the uber-talented and the gifted class. He's not looking for the notable or the educated. He's just looking for people who will follow him. He's looking for you. Look at verse number 28. And he left all, rose up, and followed him. So Matthew stood up from his desk left all to follow Jesus. And, and that is extraordinary. Uh, in modern times, in many places, it is an absolutely foreign concept. Now, I mean, these days, people won't even give up portions of their lives for Jesus, much less all of their lives. And, and so this was a big step of faith that required a big dose of courage. Do you know, it takes no courage at all to go with the flow. It takes no courage at all to follow the world and do what everybody else is doing. But it does take courage to leave that all behind and follow Jesus. And it is clear that we need the courage of Matthew to fully commit to following Jesus. Verse 29. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. And so before he took off with Jesus, the publican, Matthew, invited all the publicans he knew, along with some other people, for one last party. And Jesus showed up. Now this really is an amazing scene. Filled with obvious sinners, right? The people who had cheated others out of money. People who had scammed and stolen. Drunkards, adulterers, prostitutes. They all came just as they were, and that's where Jesus met them. Jesus didn't condone their sin, but he illustrated a very important point. No one, absolutely no one, can reform his way to salvation. New life only comes through Christ. And sometimes we ask people to make Jesus 
their Lord before he's their Savior. But that's impossible. He has to become your Savior and Lord at the same moment, the moment you trust in him for salvation. And, and so Jesus went to Matthew's party because that's where the sinners who knew they were sinners hung out. But we'll see that this did not sit well with the scribes and Pharisees. The Pharisees only went to gatherings where everybody acted like they weren't sinners, right? Where everybody faked like they had it all together. And unfortunately, in the modern age, that's kind of what church is. Uh, we've got a room full of imperfect people, including me. And yet sometimes when we come here, we fake like we're perfect, Right? Which is absurd because we're all imperfect. And so we should just be who we are no matter who we're with. Uh, but they couldn't even comprehend being around authentic sinners. Look at verse 30. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And so Jesus was ridiculed for hanging out with sinners. Jesus, why in the world would you eat with obvious sinners? We thought you were righteous. Why would you hang out with people who clearly have needs? Yeah, that's the age-old dilemma in Christianity. How will we reach the world for Christ if we never hang out with sinners? Right? How will people with problems find their needs met in Christ if they are prejudged, pre-sorted, and cast aside by those who are allegedly the children of God. And there are churches all over the world filled with these same scribes and Pharisees. And they'll allow anyone but a sinner to be in their gathering. Which means that they're kind of missing the whole point of God's mercy. And at Centennial, we invite people to come as they are. And we also pray that they will leave changed through a relationship with Jesus. I love what happens next, verse 31 and 32. And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so Jesus took this opportunity to clarify the message of the gospel. You know, Jesus can't do anything for people who think they're already righteous. He can only empower sinners to become righteous through the blood of his cross. And if you have everything figured out on your own, then there's no room in your life for Jesus. But if you figured out that you're hopeless, that you absolutely cannot save yourself, then Jesus will run to meet you. Matthew was just one publican telling a bunch of other publicans where he had found hope. And that's why I love the concept of a Matthew party. If you're a new believer, uh, you get to involve all your old friends as a witness for Jesus. If you've been a believer for a long time, then you might have to do something more creative. Uh, one of the things we tried a few years ago, uh, the week of Thanksgiving, was to have a neighborhood night of thanks party at our house. Uh, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. And Amy and the kids went and handed out invite cards to everybody on our street. And quite a few of them showed up for this party. Uh, it wasn't formal. It wasn't churchy. There wasn't a sermon. It was just a gathering of people from all walks of life. 
And there was an opportunity for people to see that Christians are just normal people who credit Jesus for their blessings. And it'd be awesome if we had 10 or 15 families that did a night of thanks this year uh, at the mission banquet on October 30th. We'll have at the local peace table uh, some ideas for local mission projects. And one of the mission information sheets that we have on the table is how to host a Matthew party. Uh, whether it's a night of thanks or a Christmas party, a Super Bowl party, whatever it is. And there's no way to influence people for Christ if you aren't ever around people who need Christ. Now, Bible studies are important. And we have them all the time around here. But look, you could go to a Bible study every week for the rest of your life and continue to be filled with Bible knowledge and yet that knowledge in itself won't do anything to reach the world for Christ unless you apply it, unless you talk to unbelievers. Unfortunately, there are lots of Bible study pros who have never shared the gospel with another soul. And, and so this is really what it's all about. Now I want to go to Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus sent his disciples to minister to the lost sheep of Israel. And as you get there to Matthew chapter 10, and we work through this passage, I want you to notice uh, first verses 5 and 6. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go, go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you notice here that Jesus gave his disciples a specific target. Uh, this local mission wasn't to the Samaritans. It wasn't to the Gentiles. It was specifically to lost Israelites. And it is okay to have a mission effort toward a specific target. After all, like Zig Ziglar said, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Right? You can't realistically have a local mission effort that seeks to reach everyone at the same time. And, and so sometimes a mission project is geared toward uh, single mothers or toward the homeless or toward those with a special area of need. And that's okay. That's what Jesus did. Uh, look at verse number 7. And as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So he also gave them a specific message. Okay, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, verse number 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, Cast out devils. Freely you've received, freely give. So Jesus authorized his disciples for ministry. And Jesus has passed down that same authority to us to go into our local area and to the whole world with the gospel. Now notice verses 9 and 10. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. You notice here that the power of the gospel was not in resources. They didn't take anything with them. They relied completely upon God. And God provided the resources for them to live out in the harvest fields, right? They got their food from the people in the village. They got clothing from people in the village. They got whatever they needed from the harvest field. Look at verse 11. And whatever city or town you enter, 
Inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide to go thence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And, and so they were to look for a person of peace, somebody who wanted them to stay, somebody who opened the door for connection in the community. And if you want to reach out on a local mission, it always helps to have a person of peace, right? If you're going to uh, go cook steaks for everybody at the police department, it helps to have somebody down there that can help you set it up, right? Uh, if you're going to take Subway sandwiches to all the teachers at a local school, uh, you're going to have to know somebody at that school uh, as a person of peace to help you get in the door. If you want to take uh, a gift bag to all the nurses down at West Valley Medical Center and thank them for what they do, you got to have some type of inroad. And so a person of peace is crucial to this. Now look at verse 13. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come on it. But if it be not worthy, let your, repeat, let your peace return to you. And so if the message was received, they stayed. They continued to serve. But verse 14 says, And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house uh, uh, or city, shake off the dust of your feet. So if the message was not received, they left same instructions in a couple of weeks uh, as we look at Luke 10 where Jesus sent out 70 more disciples. But now I want you to fast forward to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And I love the approach here in Acts 18. Now, there was a couple who had befriended Paul. Their names were Aquila and Priscilla. They were tent makers, Christian tent makers who were always looking to invest in a life. And they were ready to do for one what they wished they could do for everyone. There's a lot of people who do nothing for anybody because they think we can't help everybody. Uh, but there's an important truth. They realize that no one can help everyone. But everyone can help someone. And this goes right along with our Who's Your One campaign. Uh, I hope you're praying about who your one will be uh, for that special Sunday, the first Sunday of November. The someone that they helped was a guy named Apollos. Now look at Acts 18, 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Okay, so Apollos was going through a transition. He had been born in Egypt, and now he had just moved to Ephesus. And by the way, uh, people going through change are often the most receptive to the truth of the gospel, whether that's for salvation or for spiritual growth. If you find someone who is under tension or in transition, you will find a person who is being prepared by God for a working of Holy Spirit power or mercy. And Apollos was one of those people. He was going through a time of change. Now look at verse 25. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord. And being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And so Apollos was passionate about serving Jesus. I mean, he was fervent in spirit. And the problem was that he didn't have the updated information. He needed somebody to fill him in. That's the way a lot of people are. There are many people who really do want to please God. They're just lacking in knowledge. 
They're lacking in practical discipleship. And so verse 26, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. So Aquila and Priscilla took notice of Apollos. They took him unto him. They received him. And they also moved Apollos forward spiritually. I love that, verse 26. They expounded him the way of God more perfectly. They moved him forward. Uh, this is a, a concept that is found in one of the tiny books of the Bible in 3 John. And in 3 John, the apostle John commended a brother. Uh, he, there's this brother named Gaius, and he commended him. He said, you know what? You have done so well. You have brought others forward on their journey. And that's what God has called each of us to do. To notice someone around us and to help move that person forward spiritually. To find whatever stage of life they're in or whatever uh, stage of Christianity they're in and move them forward. Now look at verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he was come, helped them much, which had believed through grace. For he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was Christ. And so Aquila and Priscilla found out that their instruction of Apollos was multiplied. He became an incredible teacher and influencer in Achaia in much of the first century world. There was a ripple effect on the investment that Aquila and Priscilla made. And they probably had no idea how big the ripple effect was until eternity. Uh, but the impact of what they shared with Apollos is still being seen today. Now, I know that I have just given you the last blank. I'm fully aware. Okay? So please go ahead and close everything. And I want to tell you one of my favorite ripple effect stories with no distractions, where you don't have to worry about the blanks and the card and the, all your other stuff. Okay, one of my favorite ripple effect stories is the story of Svea Flood. In 1921, a young couple from Sweden named David and Svea Flood went as partners with another couple, the Ericssons, as missionaries to a remote part of the world known as the Belgian Congo. Now it's known as the, uh, the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. And uh, way out on the east side of the Congo is a village called Indolera. And it is not close to anything. And when they went there, uh, they were rebuffed by the chief. He wouldn't let them enter town for fear of alienating the local gods. And so the two couples opted to go half a mile up the slope, and they built their own mud huts, 1921. They prayed for a spiritual breakthrough, but there was none. The only contact with the villagers was this young boy who was allowed to sell them chickens and eggs twice a week. And Svea Flood was this tiny woman. She's only four feet, eight inches tall. This little gal decided that if this was the only African she could talk to, that she would tell him about Jesus. And in fact, he was interested and he prayed to have Jesus in his life. 
But there were no other encouragements. And malaria continued to strike one member of the little band after another. And in time, uh, the Ericsons decided they'd had enough suffering and they left to return to the central mission station. David and Svea Flood remained near Indalera to go on alone. And then, of all things, uh, Svea found herself pregnant in the middle of the primitive wilderness. And when the time came for her to give birth, uh, the village chief softened enough to allow a midwife to help her. A little girl was born, and they named her Aina. Uh, the delivery, though, was exhausting. Svea had just had malaria, and the birth process took even more stamina. And 17 days after their daughter was, was born, she died. And inside David Flood, something snapped in that moment. He dug a crude grave. He buried his 27-year-old wife. And then he went down the mountain to the mission station. He gave his newborn daughter to the Ericsons. And he said, I'm going back to Sweden. I've lost my wife. I obviously can't take care of this baby. God has ruined my life. And with that, he headed for the port. He didn't just reject his calling. He rejected God himself. Well, within eight months, both of the Ericans, uh, the Ericsons were stricken with a sickness and died within days of each other. The little baby was turned over to some American missionaries who adjusted her Swedish name to Aggie. And they brought her back to the United States uh, at the age of three. And this family loved the little girl as their own. They were afraid if they tried to take her back to Africa, some legal obstacle might separate her. And, and so they decided to stay in their home country and switch from missionary work to pastoral ministry. That's how Aggie grew up in South Dakota. And as a young woman, uh, she attended North Central Bible College in Minneapolis. And there she met and married a young man named Dewey Hurst. Now, years passed, and the Hursts, uh, they enjoyed a fruitful ministry. Aggie gave birth first to a daughter, then a son. In time, her husband became president of a Christian college in Seattle. And Aggie was intrigued uh, to find so much Scandinavian heritage there. Now, one day, uh, she walked out to the mailbox, and there was a Swedish religious magazine. And she had no idea who had sent it. And of course, she couldn't read the words. But as she turned the pages, all of a sudden, a photo stopped her cold. Uh, there in a primitive setting was a grave with a white cross, and on the cross were the words, Svea Flood. Well, Aggie jumped in her car. She went straight to the college faculty lounge, and, and she found this member who she knew could translate the article. What does this say? She demanded. Well, the instructor just summarized the story. He said it's about a long time ago. Uh, there's the birth of a white baby, the death of a young mother, uh, one little African boy who'd been led to Christ, and how after all the whites left, uh, the boy had grown up and finally persuaded the chief to let him build a school in the village. The article said that he gradually won all his students to Christ. The children led their parents to Christ. 
Even the chief had become a Christian. And today there were 600 Christian believers in that one village. All because of the sacrifice of David and Svea Flood. Well, this magazine story led Aggie on a quest to find her birth father in Sweden. He had wasted most of his life on alcohol. He'd recently found a stroke, had a stroke, but she found him. And she sat near him, and she stroked his face, and she said, Papa, uh, I've got a little story to tell you, and it's a true one. You didn't go to Africa in vain. Mama didn't die in vain. Uh, the little boy that you want to the Lord grew up to win the whole village to Jesus Christ. The one seed you planted just kept growing and growing and growing. And today there are 600 African people serving God because you were faithful to the call of God in your life. And she said, Papa, Jesus loves you. He has never hated you. The old man turned back to look in his daughter's eyes and his body relaxed and he began to talk. And by the end of the afternoon, he had come back to the God so rich in mercy that he had resented for decades. Well, over the next few days, father and daughter enjoyed warm moments together. Aggie and her husband had to go back to America, though, and within a few weeks, David Flood had gone into eternity. A few years later, uh, the Hearsts were attending an evangelism conference in England. And at the conference, a report was given from the nation of Zaire, the former Belgian Congo. The superintendent of the national church, representing some 110,000 baptized believers, spoke eloquently of the gospel's spread in his nation like wildfire. Aggie couldn't help going to him asking afterward if he had ever heard of David and Svea Flood. Yes, madam, the man replied in French. His words are translated. It was Svea Flood who led me to Jesus Christ. I was the boy who brought food to your parents before you were born. In fact, to this day, your mother's grave and her memory are honored by all of us. And he embraced her in a long, sobbing hung, hug. And then he continued, he said, you must come to Africa to see, because your mother is the most famous person in our history. And at a time, that's exactly what Aggie and her husband did. They were welcomed by cheering throngs of, of village believers. And she even met the man who had been hired by her father many years before to carry her down the mountain in this cradle. The most dramatic moment, of course, was when the pastor escorted Aggie to see her mother's white cross for herself. She knelt in the soil to pray and give thanks. Later that day in the church, the pastor read from John 12, 24. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. He then read Psalm 126, 5. Those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. You know, ripple effect is the most amazing part of God's kingdom. Svea Flood did for one little boy what she wished she could do for the entire village.
and God did the rest. You know, missions always starts with one. It always starts with one. The question is, who's your one? Would you pray with me? Father, I want to thank you for the power of the gospel, the way that you work through imperfect people, the way that you work through undeserving people, people like Matthew, the publican, people like David and Spea Flood, who had all sorts of problems and issues, and yet you mercifully worked through them, and you mercifully worked through us. And we are here in this room today as people without any wisdom of our own, without any strength of our own, and we desperately need you. We desperately need your power to move your gospel to the world around us. And I pray that you would make us willing, give us willing hearts, help us to find one person that we can invest in and bring them to Christ, and disciple them to know you better. I pray that you would help us as a church to follow your commission that you've given to us. Guide us now through this week. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Love you, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you.